Good morning. As you have heard, my name is Kurt, and it is good to be with you all today. My wife Tammy and I came in on Thursday, and uh, it was kind of interesting the, uh, the way that Bill talked about Pentecost Sunday, because it feels like uh, we've had something scheduled just about every hour on the hour since Thursday, and this weekend has been a little bit like giving birth. We've been in labor pains, so maybe God is birthing something new today, and we'll hopefully see how you guys want to vote later on, right? (laughs) It has been a a pleasure and a joy to get to know you, to hear your stories, to find out about your families, and uh, we are just excited that God has uh, brought us to be with you this weekend and that we can now worship the God that we love, the God that we serve, the one whose spirit he has given us and we share. And so no matter where we come from or where we go, Whenever we gather with God's people, it is good to be together because we are with family. Amen? Uh, As we jump into looking at God's word, I just want to invite you to take a moment and let's pause again and ask God through his Holy Spirit to bless this time of looking into his word, to bring his word alive for us again this morning in a fresh and a new way so that we can hear from God, knowing that as we go from here today, we have a new command, we have our marching orders, we have a clear goal that we can pursue this week in our relationship with God, knowing that God is a God who is still alive and speaks. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we do know that We need a fresh word from you this morning. We need to know that your spirit cares about the concerns of our lives, where we come from, all the the baggage that we brought with us this morning, because God, we know that it follows us wherever we go. So God, would you uh, reveal your word to us in a new way today? Would you speak to each one of us the word that we need to hear? Would you open our eyes to see what you would have for us through the the message of scripture that you have given us, which ultimately we know reveals to us the flesh and blood word of your son, Jesus Christ. And we will praise you and thank you in his name this morning. Amen. Every life has a journey. Rosa Henner was a young teenage German girl who felt the call of God on her life to leave her hometown in southern Germany and to venture halfway around the world to uh, become a missionary with a Lutheran mission called the Liebenzell Mission in Germany in the South Sea Islands of the Pacific. And so as a young woman, she left family and she left home and she ventured into the South Pacific all the way into this whole area they call the Truck Islands. And she, tra- uh, she moved from, uh, from island to island, preaching and teaching by boat, all the while never knowing how to swim. And by faith, she followed God's call on her life to minister to the people in the South Sea Islands. When she heard from a a local friend who was also in missions that there was another missionary who was stationed in Japan named Carl Nothelfer, she began writing letters with him and they began dating through the mail. And one day, by faith, she left the islands to go to Japan to marry a man whom she had never met face to face. Carl and Rose Nothelfer had six children in Japan, in the mission field. And while they were there, war broke out. And Germany became allies with Japan. 
And the Nazi party came to Karl Nothelfer and said, you must join the Nazi party. And by faith, Karl Nothelfer said, no, I, that, that's not for me. And so instead chose to allow he and Rose and their children to be imprisoned by the German army in a, in a guarded village in the mountains of Japan. And by faith they survived by growing their own food in, in a garden. And, and Carl would sneak out under the fence at night to take his vegetables into town where he could train for meat, trade for meat and bring it back for the family so they could have a little bit of protein. And by faith they survived the war. After the war was over, Germany was decimated and there was really not much to go back to. So by faith, they chose to come to America and were taken in by this little church in the Central Valley of California called Turlock Covenant Church. As political and missionary refugees, this uh, starving family was welcomed into this loving church home. And so my family was adopted into the covenant. By faith, they raised their family in America uh, as best they could, and, and the children grew and thrived. By faith, Rose and Carl returned later to become missionaries again in the very country that had imprisoned them. Out of the six kids, three of the, the boys had become ministers, and one of the daughters had married a minister. Uh, one of the boys became a historian and was able to tell the story, <laughs> and another became an IBM executive and maybe helped us to be able to now record the story with computers and those things. <laughs> Three of those covenant pa- pastors were covenant pastors, and of course there was one black sheep of the family, Peter Nodhelfer, and he became a Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> he actually served right here in Puyallup for many years. But you see, by faith, that teenage girl back in Germany followed her heart, followed God and her call for her, his call for her life. And my story, which I shared my testimony a little bit for those of you who were able to be with us last night, I shared a little bit about my own journey. But see, my journey didn't start with my life. My journey started with the story of my family and my ancestors and all those who have made it possible for me to be here with you today. If we had time, we could go through the same kind of story with Tammy's family, who were some of the first to to settle South Dakota. In fact, one of her ancestors was the first to settle Beetle County, South Dakota, and they have a long and storied history. But you see, every life has a journey, and every journey has a story. The question is, how does God fit into the story of our lives? By faith, George Whitworth in 1877 planted a a little church in uh, what wasn't even Sumner yet. And by faith, that congregation ministered and grew and over time had... three different buildings and nine different pastors and four different names, but still exists today. By faith, this church has embarked upon a new journey into a new denomination and into a new future that is as yet to be written. If we go back and we look at the the stories of, of our lives and the stories of your lives, and if we add all of your individual stories, which we've been getting to hear as we've gotten to know you of all of your families, can you imagine the number of people 
whose lives have been touched by the faith of these godly people who have walked the journey of life through faith in God. And now it seems as if it's possible that God is perhaps weaving our stories together. And isn't that just like God? You see, every life has a journey. And every journey has a story. And every story has an author. The question is, who is writing the story of your life or of my life? If we look to scripture, we understand that that question is not a new question. And we look to our text that Pastor Bill read for us in Hebrews. And I want to do something that I I probably wouldn't normally do. But I want to ask everyone if you're able to to grab a pew Bible today. You you might not have enough for everyone, I'm not sure. But but I was, I have to confess, I I, I forgot to bring a Bible with me on the trip. But, but it, it's not exactly true. I, I brought, forgot to bring one of these kind of Bibles because I use my iPhone for my Bible notes. And my Bible goes with me wherever I go. I just forgot to bring one that I could use to preach from this morning. But, you know, God works all things for his good, right? And, uh, or for our good and for his glory. And so I, I asked if I could borrow a pew Bible for this morning. I took it back to our room with us last night. And as I was kind of going through my notes and going through uh, the scriptures, uh, there were some interesting things that happened. And I, I, I know I hadn't planned to do this, but this might be kind of a God thing. I'm not sure. I'm not claiming that. You tell me afterwards. But uh, I felt like I needed to take some time to do this. And you guys finish at 11, right? No? Oh, okay. Okay, I, I know you guys need to vote and get to Starbucks, so I'll try and make this quick. But... So, so I'm sitting in the room last night, right, and, and Tammy's already asleep, and, and I'm sitting there in, in, in the chair in the room, and it's quiet, and I, and I open the Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, that's in the back of the Bible. If you're not familiar with it, you can, if you're flipping through the New Testament, you'll have First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, First and Second Opinions, and then you'll hit <laughs> Hebrews. And then you turn to chapter 12. Are you all there? And I I looked, and at the very top it said, 1877. The year that George Whitworth founded what is now Faith Covenant Church. Freaky! (laughs) Right? I mean, come on! So, whatever, you know. God does stuff like that. But then I flip to the front. Okay, keep your finger there. And now flip to the very front of your Bible. And I notice this presented in memory of little sticker there. Okay? How many of your Bibles, because I don't know all these, but how many of your Bibles have a sticker presented in memory of? Okay, wow. Does anybody know Donna J. Burt? Who is Donna J. Burt? Did you say you know her? Does anybody know Donna J. Burt? She has a great name. She has a great name. <laughs> well, this, it, it may not have been someone from this church. It may have been a family member or a friend of someone from this church because this is presented in memory of Donna J. Burt by Diane Buchanan. But I realize that probably all the Bibles in, in, in the worship center here have been presented in honor 
of someone of faith who has gone before us, someone who has loved us, someone who has known us and has walked the walk ahead. Some of you, if you're willing, shout out a name that's in your Bible. Carol? Okay. Who else? Awesome. Who else? Cool. Awesome. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, every weight. Let us get rid of all the sin that entangles and, and let's run this race that God has given us to run. We, it's, it's not a new story. It's not a new challenge. It's, it's the age-old story that we've heard over and over again and yet every time we come back to God's word, God invites us to look at it afresh, to see it anew, to, to see with new eyes what God's Word says to us in his challenge to live the life that he has called us to live. You see, the author of Hebrews knows that life is difficult. Life isn't easy. Life is a challenge. In fact, life isn't like some easy stroll through the park. He's saying it's like this marathon race that goes on and on and on. And just when you think you should be done, it goes on and on. And there's ups and there's downs and there's hills and there's obstacles and there's things that we trip over and we skin our knees and, and it's painful and difficult. And, and, and often it's so hard that sometimes we want to just give up believing that there is a God and that God really cares about what we're going through. How could God be real if, if this is what life is like? How could God be real and care about me if this is what I'm going through? You see, the author of Hebrews knew that that's what life was like. In fact, if you understand the people to whom he was writing this letter, you would understand that these were Jewish people who had, who had put their faith in Jesus. They had taken the risk to say, yes, we think that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had become Christians and Christ followers. And in their culture, that was not a very good thing to do. They were being persecuted. They were being hauled before the the rulers and the judges and they were being executed and and tortured. And all the while they had people inside the church then saying, you know what, this isn't worth it. It's too risky, it's too scary, I don't know if it's true, we need to go back to our Jewish faith. And there were people who were abandoning the faith because it was getting to be too hard and too scary. And so the author wanted to write them, to encourage them, and to challenge them, and to say, no, 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 you have to understand that this is a part of the journey of the Christian life. God never said it would be easy, but he said he would always be with us to help us through. And that's the the hope that we have because of Jesus who is alive. See, all... A life of faith is one of endurance and perseverance through all of life's challenges, Um, As we think about what faith is in the midst of challenge, we can go back to Hebrews, uh, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, where if you recall, before he gets to chapter 12, he goes through and talks all about the the forebearers of faith, like Abraham and Moses and uh, Gideon and all these people who lived the life of faith and, and were hoping for God's promise, but never quite saw it, but they had faith that it was coming. 
And now we, who have seen the fulfillment of that faith in Jesus Christ, can look back to them and see that they are exemplars for us. They are a cloud of witnesses along with our own families who are cheering us on. And at the beginning of uh, chapter 11, he says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what... Does that mean uh, we just have blind faith? Is that, is that our job is to just, well, I, I hope God is real. I, I read that God's real here, and I've heard some other people say that God is real, so I, I hope he is. I, I wish for that to be true. Is that what faith is about? Because we can't see it? No. Faith is something we believe in because we can see that God has been faithful. You see, God has given us evidence through all of these clouds of witnesses that for those who are willing to allow him to be the author of their stories, he will never disappoint them. He will always see them through. And we can begin to understand the meaning and the value of all the experiences of our lives because we know that God can take all things and work them for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? We have faith because God is faithful. Every life has a journey. Every journey has a story. And every story has an author. Who's writing your story today? See, all of these clouds of witnesses surround us, and their story becomes our story. And our story becomes God's story. And life becomes a journey of faith that we walk or we run together. That's what it means to be a part of the faith community. We together are becoming a part of those clouds of witnesses to help others be successful in the race. So, so how do we do that? If, if, we, if we're willing to, to get into the game, if we're willing to join the race... What are the things that we need to do to ensure that we too will be successful? Well, I'd like to suggest that the author gives us three very simple things, not necessarily easy, but simple things that we need to always remember and pay attention to. Number one, he says, throw off anything that hinders. Get rid of the sin that entangles. Now, it's interesting, in, in the NIV, it says, throw off everything that hinders. Some other translations, it says, throw off every weight some of you may be familiar with that phrase. And, and the word that's translated there is actually onkos, which means mass, weight, something that hinders, or bodily fat. And so some people think that, that what he's talking about is he's using the, the athletic analogy here of a race, is that if you're going to be a marathon runner, you're not going to look like me. <laughs> Right? I, you know, we were over in the, uh, the Snelling Hall last night after everybody else had left, and I did two laps through the kitchen and back into Snelling Hall with six-year-old Samuel, and I was winded and had to sit down. <laughs> I am not going to go out tomorrow and run 26 miles. There's no way. I'd collapse, fall over. But... As much as we understand the importance of physical health and losing weight in order to accomplish great athletic goals, in fact, I know that many of you are on the Daniel plan because you have all agreed together to start to get more physically fit. We understand that value. Do we also understand that, that what he's saying here in Hebrews is that you have to do the same thing spiritually if you want to be healthy? You have to trim the fat 
You've got to get rid of all that excess baggage. You've got to look at anything that is keeping you from having faith in God and trusting God with your life and just let it go. I mean, if you think about it, there's all kinds of things that, that we collect along the way and that we cling to in our lives, hoping that it's going to make us happy, hoping that it's going to bring us satisfaction, hoping that this one's going to be the payoff and we're going to make it ultimately. But after disappointment after disappointment, at some point we have to realize none of those things are the sources of happiness. That we go to the Bible and we see that happiness comes from understanding our value and our purpose in the eyes of our Creator. And as we discover that value and that purpose, then it doesn't matter whether we have much or whether we have little. Whether we're popular or whether we're just geek chic. It doesn't matter what other people think of us. It doesn't matter because God sees us through his eyes and we understand that we have value and purpose in his kingdom. And as we, as we shed those things that hinder us from being able to put our trust in God, we become more free to run with perseverance and endurance on the path that God has marked out for each one of us. Because God has a path for you. God has a, a, a work for you to do. God has wired you and gifted you to do great things for his kingdom. But as long as we're, we're being hindered from being able to pursue his plan, we just get bogged down in life and we always feel like we're just not getting where we think we're supposed to be and we're not sure why the other side of that is not just getting into spiritual shape but it's also understanding how sin plays a role in keeping us from trusting in God as well sin comes and entangles us the the example here using the analogy is kind of like wearing the wrong clothing for racing It's like showing up for a marathon race wearing a down parka with a hood, right? You start running that race, you're going to die of heat exhaustion in a couple miles. There's there's different kinds of clothing that you wear when you you go racing. You want to wear, you know, shorts and maybe a tank top and and you want to be as unencumbered as possible. You need your shoes to be light and airy and you need to be able to have unrestricted motion so that you have the most freedom to run as far and as fast as you can. You see, that's what he's saying. Sin comes in and it's it's like putting ankle weights on your ankles, and, and, and trying to run a race. Or I, I think of it when I used to go to kids' camp. Uh, even in high school, we would go to high school camp, and they, we used to do relays in the camp pool. Ever do swimming relays in the pool where they make you put on this huge sweatshirt and then, you know, sweat pants and, and, and boots and make you jump in the pool and try and swim across the other side, and you're racing the other team, so you're trying to go as fast as you can. You jump in the pool with all that clothing on, it's just like you're slogging through pudding, Right? How much of life sometimes feel like we're just slogging through pudding? And it's hard and we don't understand why it's so difficult and we're getting depressed and dejected and we don't understand what's happening. You see, what he's saying is that sin creeps in 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 little unseen ways and, and it puts these weights on us that makes life feel heavy. And it, it makes us begin to not feel like we can trust who God is or that there's, there's a plan for my life or that I, I'll ever find hope or happiness again. But I'm here to tell you this morning that because Jesus is alive, he has forgiven us for all of those things. And the only reason that they continue to exist in our life 
is because we keep choosing them. And you are free to choose Jesus again this morning and not your sin. And I don't know what your sin is. We all have them, right? We know that none of us is perfect. But, you know, for you it might be a substance. For someone else it might be a relationship. Guys, sometimes if we're honest, maybe it's our work. Or maybe it's a hobby that takes us away from our family and our wife and our kids. And we're not spending enough time with those that we've been called by God to to serve and to love. You know, women, maybe it's a a, a romantic wish for for something more than you can have. Reading uh, trashy novels and um, finding hope for a relationship through soap operas and romance movies. And, you know, I don't know what your sin is. But we also have to be honest, you know, sin creeps its way into the church as well. We do a lot of things in the name of God and in the name of Jesus that Jesus never asked us to do. And sometimes we think that we're, we're trying to serve God, but we're, 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 we're gossiping about one another, or we're, we're judging the person across the sanctuary, or even as we're talking, you hear the pastor talking, you're thinking, oh, yeah, my wife needs to hear that message. <laughs> I call it our spiritual deflector shield. Because we think we care about all these other people, but then we never really hear God's word as a word for me. Some of us are afraid of the future because we don't believe in ourselves that we'll be able to be successful. Some of us are living with unforgiveness and we're carrying the root of bitterness of somebody who hurt us and wounded us, maybe even a long time ago. And that wound continues to plague our current relationships and prevents us from ever finding joy and happiness in our lives. Because we haven't been able to just let it go. See, we cling to things that don't help us, but they, they hinder us. And that's what sin does, is it, it prevents us from living into God's ideal for our life. See, we've got to learn to do the hard work of preparing for the race. You don't just go out and run a marathon the next day. You have to do training. You have to, I, I've had several colleagues who, who have been marathon runners, and, and they've taken months and months of going out and running five miles and then do that for a few weeks, and then they increase it to 10, and then they increase it to 15, and then they're, they're almost coming up to the race, and they do a couple full you know, marathons to try. Oh, I can't even imagine doing that. It's like, yeah, I get up at 4 so I can run before it gets 100 outside. Well, you know, that's Phoenix. <laughs> Whew, that's early. But the exciting thing here is, I think this is also part of the message, is that because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. That's why God has given us this thing we call church. Because we are a part now of the cloud of witnesses it's, it's not the, these witnesses aren't like spectators in an arena watching us run the race. That, that's one image that could be drawn. But, but most commentators say that spectators are not the issue here. These are people who have already completed the race and they're cheering us on to come and join them at the finish line. I kind of liken it to uh, baseball. When, when you have somebody on the team who hits the home run and he's rounding the bases and he's coming down from third... Oh, they warned me those rocks would fall over. And they do. He's rounding third and he's coming home and the whole dugout clears. And the whole team comes and surrounds him at home plate, cheering and they, they lift him up, high-fiving each other, you know, great job. 
That's, that's the image, the kind of image that the Bible's talking about here. There is a cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. They're just waiting for us to get to the finish line so they can high-five us and say, you made it home. But we have to persevere. We have to have faith that if we pick ourselves up again, dust ourselves off, keep moving forward, eventually we too will hit the finish line and we will arrive home. And that's his second point. It takes perseverance to run the race that's marked out for us. You see, Jesus has already come and marked out the course. We don't have to wonder where we're going. He's already given us the direction. That's the beauty of, of, of church leadership, really, today, is, is that too often I think we get sidetracked in thinking, well, what's our vision as a church? What's our mission as a church? What is our mission statement, and how do we want to... Jesus gave us our mission 2,000 years ago. God's word is the same word today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our mission is not different or changed. Our vision isn't different. The the course has been marked out for us. Our job is to remember what the course is and then to run in the course that has been marked out. We have to persevere and not get distracted or sidetracked from... Sidetracked? So how do we prevent ourselves from getting distracted (laughs) and sidetracked in our faith? I will close with this. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, if we can understand that it's as simple as keeping our eyes focused on one person in our life, one king, one Lord, one God, who who has overcome death in the grave, who is already standing at the finish line, waving his arms, saying, come on, You can do it, because I've already done it. I've blazed the trail. I'm waiting for you. Just come on. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. How many of you guys are are boaters or have ever been out on the sound or on a lake, Uh, especially out on the ocean when you're going long distances? How do you you keep the boat going in one direction? If you're not using GPS, right? You find a, a landmark, right, maybe a lighthouse or a building, and you keep your eyes fixed on the building and anytime you see the bow of the boat kind of moving or sliding off point you you just bring the boat back online with that uh, landmark you keep your eyes fixed on the landmark and you know you'll reach your destination and that's what he's saying is that if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we understand the, the whole point of all of this and this is for us to have a relationship with him then all of these other things will work themselves out because the presence and the power of Jesus in our lives will carry us through all of the obstacles and the challenges that we might face. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Every life has a journey. Every journey has a story. And every story has an author. And my hope and my prayer for you today, for me and for us, is the, we will again allow Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, to begin again to author the story of each one of our lives. Amen? Let's pray.